second installment of the series, Numa. And specifically this morning, we're going to be talking about what it means to be spirit-led. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to turn with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. Uh, if you don't know where the book of Romans is in the beginning of your Bible, there's a beautiful thing here called the table of contents. Don't be ashamed to use it. And the reason behind that is because people worked really hard to put it there. And so you just go ahead and use it. Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to be reading verses 14 to 16. Romans 8, 14 to 16. And when you have it, one of the ways we like to show respect for God's word here at Pathway Community Church is we like to stand for the reading of his word. So even if it seems weird to do that in your living room, hey, do it anyway because we are a strange bunch here over at Pathway. So stand with me, and here we go. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time together, and I pray, Jesus, that as we're looking into your word, and as we're studying the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives as the one who leads us, would we be a people who have eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that are open to what you have for us today. In your name I pray, amen. You can have a seat. So I truly believe that every single person that takes a road trip needs some kind of a navigator. Now, Janet and I, when we used to do road trips, we didn't have Google Maps. We didn't have our iPhones, or in my case, my Samsung, and to be able to direct where we were going. We, we didn't have the cash, really, to afford a, even a GPS unit. And so what we did was pretty old school. We had this thing called a map. It was big. And, and, and you unfold it, and you can never fold it back up properly again. It gets all crumpled. You got cities missing after the crumple. We used this thing to find the directions of where we needed to be. Now, Janet was an amazing navigator for me. She would sit beside me, and she would tell me what roads to take, what turnoffs to take, uh, and, and even let me know roughly how far down the road they're coming. So she was fantastic at that. Well, one time, we are youth pastoring. We're going on a mission trip. We're headed down to Chicago. And in doing so, uh, we needed to be in separate vehicles. Janet couldn't be my navigator. I obviously wasn't able to be hers. And so we had these radios that we used to communicate between the two vans while we were traveling down. Well, while we were traveling down, uh, Janet got a little bit separated from me in the van that she was in. She was further behind and started following another van that was the same make, same paint job, looked identical to the van that I was driving. And she's driving behind this thing, and she's confident, she's following what she presumably thought was me, until there was a turnoff that it took. And so Janet, curious about it, didn't understand what I was doing, turned off with this vehicle. And this vehicle proceeded to go into a residential area, and then Janet followed suit into this residential area. Now, it clued into her that, okay, wait a second, this is, of course, not Rob. I'm not going to be following this stranger home. This is a weird thing, so I'm turning around. I'm going to get back on the highway. And she did, and she sped up quite a bit to be able to catch up to me so that we can have contact with each other again through the radios so that we can make sure that we're going in the right direction. The truth is, all of us, all of us, at some point in life, are led by someone 
or something. Now, in Janet following the wrong van, one of the things that was really important to note is that the further apart we got from each other, the more difficult it was for her to hear from me. You catch that? The further apart we were from each other, the more difficult it was for her to hear from me. This morning, we are talking about being led by the Holy Spirit. And this is critically important because in our Christian walks, we we have this beautiful imagery of what it means for the Spirit of God to dwell in us and to take us in different directions and lead us and guide us and all these beautiful images that we hear and read about in the Scriptures. And this is vital to our Christian walks. And so we need to understand this. If we don't understand the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, then you know what? We're probably going to keep the Holy Spirit in the back seat and not give him much regard. We're not going to pay a lot of attention to the Holy Spirit. We're not going to really think much about the Holy Spirit. We're not going to wonder where the Spirit of God is leading us or anything other kind of things. We're literally going to place the Holy Spirit in the back seat behind us as we charge forward into something. That's one of the things that will likely happen. Another thing that will likely happen is that we're going to have difficulty knowing how to be led by the Holy Spirit because we're out of touch. We're out of range to hear because we're not focused in and we're not understanding and so then we're not hearing in the way that we need to hear. I actually believe that that's why so many of us struggle talking about the Holy Spirit and even really understanding what it means to be led by the Spirit. And so let me make sure that we catch what our scripture this morning is telling us from Romans chapter 8. We are going to be led by something. And typically, in the scriptures, it's one of two things. We are either going to be led by our sinful natures, or we're going to be led by the Spirit. And Paul here, in this incredibly wonderful, robust, theologically, and and just an encouraging passage, Paul is telling us that we need to be led by the Holy Spirit. Now, Here's the interesting thing. Many of you will be familiar with some of the other passages that are in Romans chapter 8. As a matter of fact, a lot of people use these passages as life passages. They use them as encouragements. But they don't necessarily know this particular passage that we're referring to that is actually camped right in between. Here's what I mean. Maybe you've heard this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Have you heard that before? Have you internalized that? Well, that's Romans 8. How about this one? I consider that our present suffering are not worth comparing with the glory that we will be revealed, that will be revealed in us. Familiar with that one? How about this one? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Or maybe you've heard this one. Now then, what shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, a lot of us, I mean, that becomes a social media status update for us on a regular basis. Who can be against us if God is for us, right? Or even how about this one, which happens to be actually one of my personal favorites. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And it goes on to talk about nothing being able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. I mean, Romans 8 has so much stuff in there for us. But it also has a challenge for us. And that challenge is to determine who it is 
we are going to be led by? Is it going to be our sinful nature or is it going to be the spirit of God who dwells in us? That is Paul's challenge to us. And so I think it's very important that we be serious about what actually leads us. And I think if we ask ourselves three questions this morning, we're going to be able to figure out, if we're honest, we're going to be able to figure out to what extent we're led by the Spirit. So here's the first question. What dominates my thoughts? What dominates my thoughts? Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6 say this. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in, in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is peace. So the Scripture is pretty clear here. That when we are followers of Jesus, there is a transformation that takes place in the life of the believers. Uh, Paul talks about this to the Corinthian church. So the Corinthian church is filled with all kinds of controversy and difficulties, especially in the relationships to one another. And in correcting the Corinthian church, he's telling them that because of Jesus and because of the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we no longer view people in the way we used to. We don't view the world in the way we used to. And then he says this wonderful passage that a lot of us appreciate. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. And that's all packaged in this idea that we now view people differently and that lens by which we view people, like specifically those who call themselves and are followers of Jesus, we view them as if the old is gone and the new is come. That's what he's saying. There's a shift in our thinking. Transformation includes this mental transformation, and there's a change in how we think. Romans 12, chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will. So I've actually found in life that, that we become the thing that we dwell on. And so how will we allow the Holy Spirit to lead how we think? It's this idea that, that whatever our, our mind is heavily, heavily focused on, whatever dominates our thinking, will have a tendency to shape how we function in life. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. It's a fantastic passage. Uh, it, it's almost a mantra. It, it's something that we could spend our entire lives trying to live out. Here's what it says. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I mean, think about that for a moment. What would happen to your life if that is what dominated how you thought? We've said it this way before. Whatever has your attention has your direction. And so if my thoughts are constantly negative, negative about myself, negative about others, negative about uh, circumstances, anything you can think of, if it's constantly negative, then you have to know that my mood and my behavior and, and, and my demeanor is going to move into that negative. That is the natural byproduct. But if you ever spend time with somebody who is, you're just convinced is filled with joy, you'll notice that their world, their thoughts are filled with thanksgiving. Their thoughts are filled with the goodness of God in their lives. Whatever's praiseworthy, think about such things. 
So the first thing I would suggest to you is that we, in terms of a question, we have to ask ourselves, what dominates our thoughts? It's just something that helps us understand whether or not we're being led by the Spirit. What dictates my behavior? Verses 7 to 9. 7 to 9 says, The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So what dictates my behavior? If the Spirit of God, if the Holy Spirit is in control, if I'm being led by the Holy Spirit, then we will live a life, catch this, in strong obedience to Him. In strong obedience to Him. And that means that we obey the Word of God as priority number one. And so when the Word of God says things to us like, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it might benefit those who listen, then we make sure that how we communicate, the things we say, they do exactly that. They build people up according to their needs, not our wants. And that it benefits everybody who listens. It changes how we talk. And if you're wondering what passage that was, that's Ephesians 4.29. 1 Peter 1.14 says this, As obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. And that also means that we obey the leading of the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about that for a moment. He says, As obedient children do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. Don't go backwards. After accepting Jesus, you got the Holy Spirit in your life. Live according to the laws that we find in the scriptures that the Holy Spirit leads us into rather than the desires we had in the past. And you know as well as I do, every time you go to the past, every time you go to those other desires that, that just take away from God's role and leading in your life, life feels emptier. Your relationships suffer. That's a byproduct of it. Let's not go back there. Psalm 119, verse 60. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. So what we could really say then is this. If you want to be spirit-led, you got to be spirit-fed. You catch that? If you, got, if you want to be spirit-led, you got to be spirit-fed. And the Holy Spirit draws us into all truth and draws us into the Scripture so that we can be fed by that, so that we can live life in the way that he's asked us to live life. Galatians chapter 5 verses 16 to 26 is a, is a parallel passage you could say to Romans 8. It goes into a little bit more specifics of what it means when it talks about uh, living by the flesh. But here's what it says. So I say, walk by the Spirit, listen, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You catch that? If we walk by the Spirit, we're not going to gratify the desires of the flesh. So here's what we know. Every time we gratify the desires of the flesh, we're not walking by the Spirit. That's the math. That's it. And so the answer to so many of the things that we're dealing with and wrestling with in life, and I'm not saying this is easy. I'm saying the answer is simple, even though the process might be complex. But if we live and walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so we could ask ourselves questions like this. What are you craving? What do you crave in life? The flesh craves those things that are temporary. 
seeks immediate gratification, uh, chases the carrot, you could say. You know, I just, I just need this, and if I get this, then I'll be happy. But then when I get it, hmm, something else comes along. And that thing is supposed to be the thing that makes us happy, but it doesn't either until something else comes along. What are you chasing? What are you craving? Uh, the flesh seeks, like I said, immediate gratification, but it also focuses on self. The flesh's primary desire is self. Not a lot of concern for others. Not a lot of concern for what, how we behave and, and how we react to things impacts others. It's all about us. It's all about me. Always. That's the flesh. And the flesh feeds this thing within us that gets dark and ugly. But the spirit, the spirit transforms our desires. We move from those things that are temporal to those things that are eternal. And, and I've heard it said this way. People who start taking their faith more seriously in life say that they want to commit themselves to something that has a bigger purpose, a bigger plan, greater value than just living their day-to-day -day life. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He changes our desires for those things that are temporal to those things that are eternal. He also transforms our thinking. We're not as interested in immediate gratification anymore. Now we're more interested in, in impacting the world around us, but even just asking ourselves the question, of, of if I do this, then what will potentially take place? It's no longer just about my pleasure. It changes my thinking. How can I serve others? How can I attain to this idea of what it means to be more and more like Jesus and being a servant to all. And the other thing that we could say is that where the flesh focuses on self, the spirit causes us to lean into Christ-like living. Those who say they are in Christ must live as Jesus lived. And this is what the Holy Spirit guides us into and causes us to lean into. The flesh and the spirit then we have to remember, and this is important because Paul talks about this in Romans 7, 15 as well. The flesh and the spirit remain in constant opposition to each other. Constant opposition. We are always going to be fighting the flesh. And they're in opposition to each other. The flesh does not want what the spirit wants. And the spirit does not want what the flesh wants. And we need to choose who will lead us. Galatians 5, 19 and 21, it actually goes even deeper, and like I said before, in terms of more description about what the acts of the flesh look like. Here's what it says. The acts of the flesh are obvious. You catch that? It's not a mystery. If you really want to know whether or not you're performing something that's considered the acts of the flesh, here is a, an introductory list that I'm sure many of us can add to in our modern era. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idultery and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. He goes on and he says, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, so he's referencing back, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now you look at the fruit of the flesh and the idea of the fruit of the flesh is following our desires and it leads down this path of destructive behavior. And guys, I got to tell you that, that I can't even count how many people I have talked with and, and counseled and walked with that have done this exact thing. 
that they've chosen something that was an act of the flesh and it led them down these dark roads and they were struggling to figure out how to get their way back. It leads down a path of destructive behavior. It becomes more and more about me. And so I deserve to be happy. And so because I deserve to be happy, I am going to do this. Whatever that this is. It's destructive. And here's the thing. When it happens, for believers, when we choose that destructive thing, we feel horrible. And when we feel horrible in that moment, I believe that the Holy Spirit is convicting us at that time. And we feel horrible. And what then takes place is a decision that we need to make. We either decide to follow the Spirit's leading in our life and saying, listen, this isn't for you. Or we feel so horrible that we try to mask it ourselves, leading ourselves. And we end up doing the same thing that we just did that made us feel horrible, thinking for some reason that's going to make us feel good. We call that an addiction. And that's not how we're to live. It brings us in opposition with the leadings of the Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit at that point might tell a person, you need to go talk to this person. You need to pray about this. You need to repent of this. And, and we may just... Turn a deaf ear to that. Remember the Holy Spirit being in the backseat thing? Not giving him much regard? That's what takes place. And in Galatians here, it also tells us that there is a lack of an inheritance for people who live life this way. And, and I feel like I just got to describe that a little bit better. He says, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul, in this passage, has the unsaved in view here. But not just any unsaved. It's a particular unsaved person. It's the person who claims to be a Christian. The person who says they're a Christian and is constantly producing the works of the flesh gives no evidence of a life changed. The person who has only made a profession, but there's not a real evidence of Christ in their lives. It's like, it's like the person in a feel-good moment says, yeah, of course, yeah, I'll accept Jesus. This feels great. He's going to make my life better. Awesome. I want Jesus. But not really. Well, the person is also described in Ephesians 5. They're described in 1 Corinthians 6. And the practice that they're talking about in Galatians here is this present tense in the Greek, and it could be translated as, he who keeps on living repeatedly, like this, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so Paul is obviously talking about this habitual, unrepentant practice rather than this isolated lapse into sin for a person. Every Christian has a weakness. Areas of sin, personally, that over time keep seemingly to just keep cropping up in our lives and it, it just bothers us, right? And we look back on it and we're like, man, I just wish that thing were gone. I don't want it. The issue in this language that we find in Galatians is an issue of desire, not an issue of perfection. See, the person who is living like this, keeps on living like this, is that unrepentant person that says, yeah, yeah, whatever about that Jesus thing. I, I want to do this. This is a person who's never actually made a real decision for Jesus this is a lip service decision. This would be like Simon uh, the sorcerer who says, yeah, 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 I accept Jesus. Now give me the power that you've got from the Holy Spirit. Can I, can I pay you for this power? It's not that different. 
A Christian will desire to bring their sin nature under the control of the Spirit. That's what it means when we, when we use that language of, I just don't want this anymore. I see, I sense, I feel what it's doing to me and what it's doing to the people around me. I don't want this. You need to know that if that's the thought process that you are in right now in your life, you need to know the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. He's trying to lead you out of that. If a professing Christian has no desire to control this in nature, no desire for obedience to Christ, then it's time to question the reality of their relationship with Jesus. Now, I know that's a hard line, but you got to understand that, that Jesus, he drew a hard line all the time. He says, count the cost before becoming my disciple. And that's not that quick decision. He, he says, process this, think it through. And that to be his disciple, to be his followers, to achieve or, or gain salvation through Jesus. He says, the narrow road is the way to do it. He says, look, the road is narrow and few will find it. Jesus is constantly drawing lines in the sand. And so he's basically saying there are going to be those who might profess to be believers. And we see that even at the judgment seat. And many will come to him and say, Lord, didn't we do this in your name and that in your name? Didn't we cast out demons and save people? All these things in your name. And he says, depart from me, for I never knew you. Catch that? I never knew you. There's no desire for obedience. No desire for the sin nature to be under the leadership of the Spirit. None. And you have to question whether or not we've truly made a decision for Jesus. Now, the Christian may lapse into the flesh because of a failure to depend on the Holy Spirit. And if they do, we're going to feel that conviction that we talked about before. We will not be able to have inner peace until we confess this sin to God. And we know it. We've experienced it. And the Holy Spirit then proposes or purposes to turn us from it and this person then gets up by faith again, and they walk in dependence upon the Spirit. Now, Christians do sin, but the action that we have when we do will always be followed by a great conviction from God. All, at all times, obey the Lord and let him deal with the consequences of that obedience. And so what we're saying here then is that to be truly led by the Spirit, even in these areas of sin in our lives, will produce a person who has a desire to have that sin under the control of God and that their lives are going to live in obedience to God. That is what it means to be Spirit-led. Third question would be this. What demonstrates my priorities? Verse 12 in Romans chapter 8, verse 12 tells us this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. And in verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But, the, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the flesh, you will live. And so there's this battle between that which is earthly and that which is eternal. And when earthly priorities dominate, sinful nature is winning. That's what we're reading in verse 12. And so we live after the flesh when we make the flesh or when the flesh is made the primary concern 
We, we are to take good care of our bodies, but it's not the chief end of our lives. Like, so when the flesh is the primary concern, when it's all about just here and now and this body that we live in, we've missed it. And we're living by the flesh, not by the spirit. When we allow carnal indulgence to interfere with Christian duty. You know, it's this idea of, of like, I just want to do this thing for me that is completely selfish. I want to perform this sin instead of serve God here. That's what we're talking about. You know you're living by the flesh if you're going to choose sin over serve. You catch that? If we'll choose sin over serving, we know that we're living in the flesh. Because we never should be choosing sin. Ever. When we decline giving things up in the cause and at the call of God. And here's what I mean by that. My selfishness really shows itself when God asks me to give something away that I really treasure. The thing that I really want. The desire that I have. And he may come to me and he may say, Rob, I want you to do this. I want you to give up this for my sake. And I might say, no, God, I don't want to give that up for you. That's mine. I own it. I want it. I want to experience it. Whatever it is, I want it. No, God, I will not sacrifice this for you. Oh, but hey, thanks for sacrificing your son for me. We know we're living in the flesh when we refuse to give things up for the cause of Christ. And we also know that we're living in the flesh when we're guided by non-biblical worldview in the conduct of life. A non-biblical worldview. When we start affirming the things that are clearly not of God in the world around us and we say, and we're calling bad things good and good things bad, all those kinds of things, we know we're living in the flesh at that point. That when we take on the value system of a sin-broken world instead of the value system of the saving Christ, we know we're being led by the flesh and not by the Spirit. And when eternal priorities dominate, the Spirit, of course, is winning. We read that in verse 13, where it says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Paul's statement is that if by the Spirit you kill off the sinful deeds of the body, you're going to live. And here, again, the context of the book of Romans, it matters. Romans 8 begins and ends with declarations of the Christian's absolute security in God. It absolutely does. It starts off with, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And it ends with, and nothing will ever be able to separate us from his love. No condemnation for those who are in Christ. No, condemn, no separation from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Those are the bookends of Romans 8. And in the context of Romans 8, we have this idea that having believed the gospel, we now live in the spirit of God. And that allows us to call God Abba, Father. And we suffer with Christ, and we suffer along with all creation while we wait for God to reveal us as his sons. And with the help of the Spirit, we are confident that God is for us and he loves us in Christ. This is what we have in Romans 8. Now, when you look at Romans uh, 8, verse 13, some suggest the 13 to mean that the person who does not succeed in giving up all sin will not achieve eternal life. That is not what it's saying. 
that explanation doesn't fit within the context of Romans 8. Paul elsewhere has taught about our salvation and having peace with God because of what Christ has done on our behalf. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. And even in this following verse that we have in verse 14 for Romans 8, for all, for all who are allowing themselves to be led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And so the meaning that we have here, the meaning of this statement is that first, those who are in Christ will, by the power of the Spirit of God, find victory over sinful desires. It may not be immediate, but it might be. But you will have victory. And we will have greater and greater success in putting them to death the more we allow the Spirit's leading in our lives. And second, it means that we will experience the abundant life that God intends for us by putting to death the sins of our body. And so it's crucial for us to understand that killing off our sins is only possible through the Holy Spirit. It's not about our achievements. It's not about our performance. It's not about our abilities to, you know, put this mind over matter over things. It's not about the, the will that we have. It is about the dependence on the Spirit. Look, my sins in my life, it were just fully up to me, completely up to me. I'm going to fail all the time. I will never be able to overcome the sins of my life without the power of the Holy Spirit. And neither will you. Killing off the sins is only possible through the Holy Spirit. And it's not something that we can achieve on our own. It is by the Spirit that we have life. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 18 says, So we fix our eyes not what is, on, what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And it's this whole idea of, am I going to choose that which is seen or going to choose that which is unseen? Am I going to choose the eternal or going to choose the temporal? And whichever one I choose, that's what's leading. I'm going to be led by the flesh or led by the spirit. So here's a couple of other things to consider. What drives you? Like What gets you up in the morning? What do you pursue in life? What upsets you? What is your righteous anger if there is one? What moves you? What moves you? You know, a way forward in a message like this can be sometimes difficult to put into practical terms. And I truly believe that the only actual real way forward for us is prayer. You see, it is through prayer that we, we bring our hearts and our minds and our, our spirits in alignment with God. And so how about this? And I'll put this up on social for us. Here's what I'd like us to do every single day for at least a week. Every single day. I want us to pray a prayer to be led by the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to close our time here.